Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert Lamb, and with me is our other co-host. I'm Drew Tan, coming at you. Hey, hey, hey. So today, we're going to cover a comic called Mr. Wonderful by Daniel Close. And uh, it's something that we, we failed to mention in our last podcast when we were discussing romance comics, and we've been kicking about ourselves about it ever since, and... We thought it'd be a good chance to give it its due diligence and shine a light on it and let you let you find viewers and listeners know about what you're missing. But before we... Viewers? Uh, <laughs> they're viewing us well, in their mind's eye. Playing... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but before we start our uh, episode, we're going to go and... Uh, Hit up a warm-up question for you guys. Yeah, as we're recording this, it is actually Black Friday, so happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody listening. Uh, so with Black Friday, typically this was the day of the year when Albert and I would, you know, venture forth from the caves that we dwell in and <laughs> go to comic book stores because of all the sales and stock up on quarter comics and cheap trade paperbacks and hardcovers. You know, just really gorge ourselves on uh, Deals. consumerism and excess in terms of comics. Right, right. But the world being the way it is right now and the pandemic, there aren't really too many sales going on at comic book stores. Uh, certainly nothing like how they uh, have been in the past several years so uh yeah something about that got me thinking man thinking about black friday and and just the uh i guess the american way you know how it's kind of cultural now to to go nuts and spend uh just go on a spending spree on black friday because that's when the sales and deals are so let me ask this question to you which comic book character is most likely to go crazy on a spending spree on Black Friday? So, it took me a sec, but I decided to land on the collector. Oh, <laughs> that is good. <laughs> that is a great answer. I did not think about one of the cosmic Champions of the universe, or what? He is a cosmic, elders of the universe. He's a cosmic being whose entire thing is just collecting stuff. <laughs> yeah, he's an elder of the universe, man. Yeah. And who better to get things on Black Friday than a being whose sole purpose is to collect things? <laughs> that is, that's really good, man. That is a really good answer. He he's a guy that would collect stuff, but you think he would actually spend money to get his stuff, or or would he just, you know, use his cosmic powers to obtain them? Uh, realistically speaking, he would use his cosmic powers, but I do I I there's a part of me that believes that he has such a compulsion that if you told him that this was an extra special day where he could truly gorge himself extra on collecting things, he would mm -hmm. he would take that as an opportunity 
to justify his indulgence even more. <laughs> so he would go out of his way to collect even more than he normally would because he's he's a fiend, dude. He's yeah. a he's a fiend. He's a dope fiend. No disrespect, <laughs> but he's a dope fiend. No disrespect to any of the dope fiends <laughs> listening to us. <laughs> Ours is a good podcast to get high to, apparently. <laughs> uh, if you're Wait, if you're out on meth, uh, there is nothing <laughs> more soothing than our voices. <laughs> I forget, man. Who who played the collector in the Marvel movies? Was he in the Marvel movies? Oh no no you're right he was it was uh was it, was it Benicio Guillermo del Toro it was Benicio del Toro you're right he was, oh Benicio okay yeah there yeah. you go that I forgot that. I was trying to think of his name yeah that that'd be him what you got yeah I remember uh was it was the uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie right at the end it, it turned out he had collected Howard the Duck exactly exactly <laughs> like he he had a cameo it wasn't really a big part because. Uh, well, I guess he was big in the sense that he was housing one of the Infinity Gems in the later movies. But, you know, it, it wasn't like he was... He Yeah, he yeah, wasn't the primary antagonist He or wasn't the primary antagonist, and he certainly didn't seem... It, it certainly didn't seem like he was a cosmic being in those movies. He was just... He was literally just a dude who was collecting stuff. <laughs> yeah, he came off as more eccentric, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of like uh, the uh, Jeff Goldblum's character in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, the games master. I forgot that the games that he was the games master. I just remember yeah. that. Yeah, because he he's an elder it. of the universe, also. Yeah, he is. That's true. So it makes sense that they both kind of uh, had similar mannerisms, I think. Yeah. Or a similar aura about them. Yeah. But what what do you think the collector would? Uh, hunt for specifically on black friday like what what were the deals what would be the deals that would entice him Ooh, that is i you know what i i believe that for him it's not necessarily what he's collecting as opposed to the fact that it's not necessarily what he's collecting as much as it is the act of collecting itself so Regardless of whatever it is, if you told him that whatever it was was rare or hard to find or the best deal, he would yeah. be he his compulsion would drive him to seek out whatever that best deal is, regardless of what it is, just because by by its very nature it's probably the hardest thing to get. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that the collector, if he were a comic book collector, would he be a mouth breather? I would love to see a comic that portrays him as a mouth breather, as someone who only cares about key issues and about flipping things, <laughs> except it's not even about flipping things. For him, it'd be about getting it and watching it accumulate in, uh, in material value. Because he would slab comics in CGC, grade them. Yeah, yeah, and he would sh totally show it off. He would be a perfect stand-in for our arch nemesis, <laughs> speculators, speculators, and mouth breathers. <laughs> yeah, 
they're not necessarily the same, but there is enough overlap between those two uh, breeds yeah. of uh, comics entities. The circles in those Venn in the Venn diagram, those circles would be big. Yeah, it it would be, it would almost be one whole circle. Yeah, it would just be a giant sphincter of comics garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer, man. I I didn't think about the collector. Yeah, man. What you got? Who are you thinking? The the answer that I came up with was Jubilee from the X Men. Really? Mainly because she's a teenage girl who probably loves shopping, you know. Okay. So she loves shopping on a normal day. I just figure that on Black Friday she would go crazy, you know. That makes sense. I buy and that. She's probably the most realistic. She's. The most realistically likely to go, to go ham Black Friday shopping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even from uh, her earliest appearances, she was always a mall rat. You know, yeah. like she was that kid, that teenage kid who was always hanging out at the mall, always looking at stores, window shopping and whatnot. Um, it, and and I, I don't know how old she's supposed to be now. She's probably just I don't know, young woman, I guess. Yeah, but. Um, I would probably say that her personality hasn't changed too much, so she would probably still be really into uh, shopping and getting good deals and stuff. And the other thing is that I think on Black Friday, she would really go nuts because uh, because of the deals, man. And yeah. from all the comics I've read, it's not like she's ever had a job or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, so she has to, to look for deals. She'd have to exactly. Yeah, it's interesting what? though that you you called her a mall rat because it makes me it makes me think about how things have changed over the years. And do you remember there was a period of time when they were saying that you know malls are dying? Just yeah. So it, it's kind of weird to think of her in that context where. If malls are truly a dying entity and like people aren't really going to malls anymore, although in my personal experience, I can't say that that's the case. Like when I go to Stonestown, it still seems pretty busy. But mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to think of her in that context. She it almost well, feels like she might not have any purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good point because who knows, man? Maybe maybe in like another. 10 or 20 years, they might have to revise her origin. Yeah, she'd be... You know, she, she, uh, inst instead of being a mall rat, she would be that girl who stays at home all the time on and, and goes on social media or something. Yeah, she could be an influencer. She, yeah, she could be a social media <laughs> influencer. She could be an influencer a and just someone who's constantly shopping online. I mean, if that's if they really want to make a, you know, a modern... Uh, uh, what's it called? Iteration of her or a modern uh, take on her? I, yeah, because because you know how Marvel and DC and them they always have to do the sliding timeline thing where where everybody's origin has to get moved up so they don't seem too old. Like even like uh, Iron Man, right? His origin was rooted in uh, the the was it the Vietnam War? I believe so. Yeah, the Vietnam War and yeah, and then uh, like. Maybe 15 years ago, they updated his origin, so it wasn't Vietnam; it was just the Middle East. Yeah, well, I'll I'll admit that I prefer the way that Marvel does it because they don't necessarily 
draw a lot of attention to the fact that, hey, it used to be the Vietnam War and now all of a sudden it's the Middle East or, you know, they just... Yeah, DC would probably have a, a huge Thor event. punch the walls of reality so hard that, <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> exactly. We don't need that. I don't need that. Just, you know, just just tweak the origin and I'll ignore the older, you know, the older stuff and I'm fine with that. Yeah, because it, it'd be weird if... Uh... If uh, the Punisher was still a Vietnam vet, well, he'd be pretty old. He'd be pretty old, but even Garth Ennis and I think Jason Aaron wrote him with the intention. Yeah, of but him you forget, him. man. You forget that those comics were were they're already seventeen years old. That's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. Uh, even with someone like something like Captain America, I feel like. They they occasionally have to change when he uh, was awoken from the ice. Yeah, like it it's a very minor tweak, and it's the sort of thing where, as long as you buy the most current iteration or the current version of that story, you're pretty much up to date. Like you'd have to be pretty compulsive to look at you know, the original comic where Captain America was released from the ice and to go, hey, that doesn't, you know, well, you guys didn't yeah. explain that away. <laughs> it, I guess it's okay with Captain America because his real origin in World War II doesn't need to change. It's more just about when does he, uh, when do the Avengers find him in the ice? Yeah. Exactly, and and that and that can be pretty timeless because it, when they find him, isn't rooted in a specific war or a specific event in in history. Yeah, it'll be but something like the Punisher's origin. That's that's uh, explicitly rooted in the Vietnam War. So yeah, uh, you know, nowadays they gotta when they tell his origin story, they've gotta make it some kind of a Middle wow. Eastern war. Yeah. In fact, I think they already did that, didn't they? With uh, I I think did, they did. Did they do but, that uh, with Rucka? Like, didn't Rucka do that in his version? Yeah, I want to say I want to say that that's when I saw that for the first time, and I realized, man, I'm getting old. Like all this time has passed since I read the Garth Ennis run. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're at a point where where somebody had to update the Punisher's origin, or else he'd be like <laughs> like a seventy or eighty year old man fighting a one man war on crime and. It's not That's a lot harder to believe than like a 60-year-old. Well, it's not that much harder to believe. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 60 is still pretty rough. <laughs> well, in the in the Ennis run, wasn't he like pushing 60? He's like he was like 50 something, right? Yeah, I mean in the Ennis he run, probably like 55. In the Ennis run, he was old. Like I Yeah. Like, I, I think at that point it's negligible whether it's 60 or 80. But yeah, okay. But the point was he was old. Like yeah. he was meant to be this old man fighting an endless war. So uh, like I suppose you could make the argument that there's a difference between old and just being geriatric. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that was a hell right. of a tangent. That was. That was. It's, it's it's uh kind of funny that we spent so much time talking about that question and we, we were talking about 
Marvel characters when this episode is about one of the most uh, prominent <laughs> indie creators. <laughs> yeah, so even when we even when we do an episode about indie comics, we still somehow got to talk about the collector. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no escaping it. Sometimes it's just in our DNA, man. Yeah. So uh, shall we get to it, yes. Mister Wonderful by Daniel Klaus? Yeah, you got it. So, so we chose this comic to discuss kind of like a another book club episode. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we we did a book club type episode on Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino's Joker Killer Smile, and this time we're doing Mister Wonderful. I think one of the reasons we chose this book was well, there are a couple reasons. But like Albert said earlier, when we uh, several episodes ago, when we did our recommendations episode for romance comics with Zach and Shanus, we neglected to even mention this comic, and it kind of stuck in our craw all this time. So that that's one reason, and another reason we chose this one was, well, I guess for me personally, sometimes I feel like we spend so much time talking about superhero stuff on our show it was it would just be refreshing to talk about something that was just you know general fiction you know something that's not superhero comics not even really science fiction or anything like that this is just your realistic kind of fiction yeah it's i mean the thing is it's a great comic so it's not like it's not like i have to go out of my way to look for reasons to talk about it. This is something that I, I have genuine feelings towards. And it, it's definitely something that I regretted not talking about when we discussed our romance recommendations. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that that's one more reason why I think we chose this one was that both of us own a copy of it, so it was easy for both of us to read it on our own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I could give a quick synopsis of the story if you'd like. Yeah, or, well, maybe before we get to the story, um, anything you want to say about the creator, Daniel Klaus? You ever read any of his other comics, or um, are you familiar with his other work? I've read some of his other works. The The first comic that I ever, ever read from him was Ghost World. And yeah. uh, the thing about that was that I wasn't even aware of that comic until the movie came out. So it, so I, I'm, I'm pretty late to the Daniel Klaus train. He, it, it's, uh, yeah, the, my, uh, the way that I describe it is it's a, it's, it's a bunch of short, comics short stories about just life in southern california suburbs or something like that isn't it like weren't they in la uh i don't remember where it took place okay so it, it's just the a story about it primarily focuses on these two teenage girls and just you know the the cast of characters and weirdos that surround them in whatever city they're in uh and you know the the observations that they make about these characters uh i don't really remember too many stories uh from that series the 
the main story that I remember was one about how they go to this restaurant and they just people watch as uh, people come yeah. in and they come up with stories about these people. And one day this, this couple comes in and they're, you know, observing them and coming up with a backstory for these people. And they're talking about how they're Satan worshipers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, it, it's definitely one of those stories where the two protagonists are, they're kind of like, I guess just really cynical outsider types that, that can't help, but it's just in their nature to, to judge and mock everybody that they see. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, it does feel like it's a pretty 90s thing in that sense. Because I feel like it it was uh, published in the '90s, so yeah. that that's understandable. Yeah, I, but I mean, like, it, it's a snapshot of that era in that I feel like that archetype was pretty prominent at the time. You know, you had like your Janine Garofalo's, and uh, like Daria was kind of a big deal. So, um, yeah, it was kind of that era mm-hmm. of the kind of snarky, cynical. Uh, young woman <laughs> yeah like, yeah so uh yeah his, his his comic was true to that yeah and the, the movie that they made based on it i think that one got pretty good acclaim right like it, it did pretty well for uh i don't even is that even was that considered an indie film albert it was considered an indie film and i think it did pretty well uh interesting sto- well it's not really that interesting of a story but I remember they did, they had like a, uh, I want to say it was an anniversary uh, for the movie when it, uh, like, I want to say it was like 10 years or something like that, maybe even more, Mm -hmm. uh, a few years back. uh, Well, actually quite a while back. I think it might have been in around 2008 or something like that. Uh, But... I remember I ended up going to Berkeley uh, for a film showing with my coworker, and Daniel Klaus was there to... Oh, nice. Yeah, it was kind of cool just to, you know, be around to see what he had to say about the movie, and, you know, you could buy a book and have him sign it. I, I did not at the time, but, you know, it was cool to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the movie uh was so, I've only seen the movie once uh and it was quite a while ago. Yeah. But I remember uh I remember enjoying it. I had watched it uh, a little while after reading the comic and I thought it was thought it was good. It's it's not my favorite Daniel Klaus comic, but yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I it's it's been a while since I've watched the movie and so it's it's not quite as fresh to me but interestingly enough um he did come out with another movie a couple years later also based on one of his comics called wilson and i did watch that and that one was starring uh woody harrelson and that yeah wilson was great wilson was pretty funny (laughs) yeah yeah i i remember that was about an yeah wilson was about a an old curmudgeonly dude who uh i guess he's he's just uh had 
poor relationships with with people like he used to be married and and uh in the, in the movie or in the comic well both he, he finds out he has a he and his ex had a had a daughter who was adopted by some other family and it's his they attempt decide to, to reconnect with his yeah with his and, daughter. It, and it just yeah and it goes all sorts of bad yeah i mean <laughs> like every every terrible awkward situation <laughs> that you could think of yeah. that that happens <laughs> yeah i mean the thing is i could envision a version of this movie that's that would be like mass produced and um that'd be pretty uh what's the word like i could envision a version of this movie that's it's that that would be made for the masses but i i felt like wilson yeah. still felt very much like an indie film or an indie comic so even though it was yeah. kind of it had hijinks and it was kind of it was funny it it didn't really play to the sensibilities of you know, it wasn't like, dude, where's my car or something like that, you know, where or, or um, you know, or any number of just cookie cutter comedies. There was still something about it that was very uniquely uh, inde- independent in its in, to its core, I guess. Yeah, there was there was something about not just the movie's humor, but I would I would even say it's something kind of common to uh, Klaus's comics as well, Absolutely. like where the humor the humor is it's not just awkward kind of humor like i think there's some kind of humor like if you watch the office or something that a show like that is there's a lot of awkward humor like based on things that like michael scott or dwight would do or say yeah but with a with a daniel Klaus comic the awkward humor it it's not because the person is is it's not because the character is is necessarily an awkward person it's usually because the character is an awful person (laughs) (laughs) and when you as the reader or the movie viewer uh witness an awful person uh doing something awful there is some kind of comedy based in that you know yeah like it, it you might feel i think what makes it awkward is you feel uncomfortable when you laugh at it but it's supposed to I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Yeah. Cuz cuz if you if you read Wilson, Wilson is a jerk, man. That dude yeah. is he he's basically got no uh filter, right? Like his yeah. his, rest- his self-restraint is is very low he just says what he thinks even when it's unkind and um and and rude to other people yeah he'll he'll just say it because he doesn't he doesn't care he's an old curmudgeon yeah and he just says whatever he wants no matter what other people think yeah and and if you were just like an outside observer you you step <laughs> back and you looked at what he was saying you'd cringe yeah there's something <laughs> Yeah, there's something comical about it. Yeah. But at the same time, you you know that if you were if you were uh, living in his world, inhabiting his space, and he said something like that to you, it would make you kind of upset. Yeah. Or annoy you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would definitely say that, especially in the case of Wilson, there's 
<clears throat> on some level, you do kind of root for him, but he's not necessarily lovable, is what I'd say. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah, he's... Exactly. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird uh, way to think about him in, in that because he's the point of view character and, again, like you said, he he has no filter. He's kind of rude, but... You empathize with the fact that, in spite of his his worst instincts, there's a part of him that wants to make a connection. I mean, that's what the movie is about. Like he's, you know, he has these failed marriages and he doesn't really connect with other people. But then when he finds out that he might have this daughter out in the world, it, it brings him, it brings him joy. And mm-hmm. you do want to be happy for him on that level. So, yeah, it's it, it's a good movie. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I think another thing about that movie that isn't uh, cookie cutter is the fact that it it's also something that isn't uh, predictably heartwarming, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that's a spoiler, but... It, it's it's not one of those movies I think that people would watch with their families if they want to just feel good about each other. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's that's the weird complexity of it all. Because from what I remember, like, it, there is a certain degree of heartwarmingness to it. At the mm-hmm. end, from what I remember, it it's still painfully awkward and uncomfortable, and yeah. it's not. It's 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 definitely not a sitcom in the sense that it it all works out, but yeah, yeah. But in a way, it works out enough. I guess is how I would. Yeah, put it. yeah. That's a good point. That's that's a good that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it, I think that's one of the things about uh, Daniel Klaus's comics. In general, where the the protagonists and the the characters aren't necessarily uh, completely lovable, like you never you're never really able to put yourself into the story and 100% just lose yourself in rooting for the protagonist because there's just stuff about his characters where I think for for most people you know you can't really get behind 100% yeah because they're jerks, but at the same time, it, it, it does make the story interesting to read. It makes the stories unpredictable, and it also makes them more realistic, I think. The characters are, they, the characters feel more realistic because they're, they're not perfect people. They're not, yeah. they're not characters that are specifically designed to make the reader, uh, empathize or feel emotionally connected to them they're just it's it's almost like you're looking into some stranger's life and when they don't know you're watching them uh you know they're just going to be themselves yeah and when people are themselves yeah. they usually you know nobody's a a great person you know yeah. everybody's got like you know if if somebody was privy to all of my thoughts and private moments they'd find me repulsive too <laughs> <laughs> well no i 
I actually fully agree with that. I mean, it's uh, the realness of it is is in how uncomfortable and how awkward it is. Um, like that's like I'm, I'll talk about it some more when we actually get into Mister Wonderful. But I did it. I did come to realize that it, it's a pretty accurate portrayal of like how people actually are because. Uh, again, like real story, like real people, just have. This might sound a little too cynical, but I'm just talking about human nature here. In that, you know, real people are can be selfish, and real people mm-hmm. can be rude, and uh, it's this idea that, you know, uh, that your heroes are always perfect, or even people that you uh, find, you know, lovable just to just to bring that up again, or even likable yeah. in some cases, yeah. you know. But but the thing that makes it more real is, yeah, like if be, if somebody could observe me walking around on a daily basis, I, I'm pretty sure I do enough things that are, uh, at the very least, questionable. At the very worst, reprehensible. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> What's the most reprehensible thing you've done today, Robert? Where do I begin? <laughs> I mean... Did you punch an old lady in the back of the head? <laughs> I mean, just in the past 30 minutes of this podcast, what have I talked about her? <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into Mr. Wonderful, because I think Mr. Wonderful does touch on a lot of the things that we see in many of Klaus's other comics. Uh, But I also think that with Mr. Wonderful, it's not quite as cynical as something like Wilson, like the main character in particular. He's he's not quite as uh, irascible as Wilson is. That's a good way to put it. Uh, He's... uh... So to be fair, I haven't read. So I've read Wilson, I've read uh, Ghost World, and I've read this, but I haven't read. There's a lot of his stuff that I haven't read, like Daniel Boring or uh, David Boring, David Boring, right, or any of his shorter comics. So I don't know. I can't say whether all of his characters have that certain, you know, specific Daniel Cloud right, filter. Right. So I like I'm not gonna say apply that uh, that logic to all of his characters and say that that's a signature thing that he does, but just from what I've read, um, I will say that uh, the characters in uh, Mister Wonderful are relatively more lovable than yeah, and he's he's more likable than Wilson. <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely. So I, I, I just thought of something actually, uh, but there was another uh, Daniel Klaus movie uh, in between Ghost World and Wilson. Do you remember Art School Confidential? I do. I I was I didn't realize that that was one of his. Yeah, I never actually watched it, but it's just something that I know about. I think it's something that also has a cult status associated with it. I I feel like the same way that people have affection for Ghost World. 
uh, people also have affection for maybe maybe not quite to the same degree, but I do feel like it definitely has its um, its followers and its fans. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to give a brief synopsis of Mr. Wonderful before we uh, dive into the book? You got it. So our main character is Matthew. He's an older gentleman. Marshall. Marshall. Isn't it Marshall? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know what the funny thing is? I I kept telling myself, don't call him Matthew. Call it, It's Marshall. And that was the first <laughs> thing I did. Jeez. Okay. Reprehensible behavior. Reprehensible. <laughs> Sorry. So Marshall. Our main character is Marshall. He's an older gentleman who, who's had a string of bad luck in terms of relationships at, at the point that uh, in his life that we've come to when we enter the story. It's been six years since his wife left him and really since he's had any anything, uh, any dates or any uh, substantive uh, relationships with a woman. So when we when we meet Marshall, he's in a cafe and he's about to meet a woman by the name of Natalie that he's been set up on a date with uh, through friends of his. And Mr. Wonderful is essentially the story of Matt, uh, Marshall wrapped up in his insecurities as he's trying to get through his interactions with this woman and as he's trying to make a relationship happen and just all the different hijinks and uh, things that occur over the course of uh, that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Did I... Just a bit of a background on, on uh, Mr. Wonderful is that it was originally serialized in the New York Times magazine in a comic strip format. So the the hardcover collection that, that I have, and I think you have the same hardcover collection I have. Yeah. It's it's actually, a, I guess, what do you call it? Like a widescreen format where it's, it's uh, wider than it is taller. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of those old Garfield books. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of size. It, yeah. I guess it's like if you took your normal uh, trade paperback, like a Marvel trade or something, and just like flipped it on its side so that, uh, you know, the spine is pointing upward. Like that's the kind of dimensions that Mr. Wonderful has. Yeah. So you can, when you read the comic, you can actually kind of see the... Uh, I guess the comic strip uh, origins of it. I never actually read the original serialization. My first encounter with the comic was in the collected edition. So I I believe he also uh, did insert uh, additional material to the collected edition that wasn't in the serialization. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Is there... I don't... Go ahead. What were you going to say? I don't know exactly... uh, what it was, but uh, if you uh, look at the, uh, like on the first couple pages before the story starts, where it's got all the copyright info, it, it does say that uh, this work has been modified and expanded for this edition. So, 
Oh, okay. Nice. He, uh, yeah, he must have done some stuff because there are there are uh, some some double page spreads uh, in the book. So I'm not sure how he would have accomplished that in the in the magazine. Right, right. But there are definitely other places where when you when you look at how uh, the panels are laid out, they're all just you know laid out in a strip. So it's like three to five panels just horizontally um, going across. Very similar to your typical comic strip. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd want to describe about his art style before we like break down some of the story elements? Uh, I guess I'd say his art here is very clean uh i guess that's kind of distinctive of his art in general it's he has it's his signature yeah he has a clean style uh there are there are some points where he he uh when he adds a little depth and inking to people's faces kind of reminds me a little bit of uh like a charles burns or somebody but uh he also kind of floats back and forth between uh realism and and cartoonishness i don't know if uh if you if you uh thought the same thing but there are some points where when he draws certain certain people uh some of the sometimes they look uh some characters look more realistic than other characters like there's there's a a scene on like page 12 where when he's in the comic uh in the coffee shop and marshall uh sees an older lady uh, who's oh, sitting alone. Yeah, he talks to her. Like I felt like the way that Klaus drew the older lady, that looks like it, it could be a real person. Whereas Mister Wonderful himself, uh, or uh, Marshall, he's he still kind of looks like a cartoon character a little bit. You know, like a like a realistically proportioned cartoon character face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I'm looking at the same panels uh, that you're talking about on page twelve and. The detail in her face, there's, there's definitely more gradations there to, to indicate that she's an older woman. Yeah. And, and Marshall himself is a little smoother, even kind of. I, I don't want to say kiddish. He's not really like kid looking because you know it's clear that he's an older man, but. It's it's clean and smooth. His face is clean and smooth enough to the point where it the lack of detail does make him look cartoonier. That's that's yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about uh, the art in this comic is that it's uh, it's all all in color. Um, and like I think my first uh, Daniel Klaus comic I read was David Boring, and that one was was black and white. This might have been, oh, and and I think Ghost World that had like I think it was it had gray tones or blue tones or something, but it wasn't really yeah. in color. Yeah. Whereas this one's full color. It almost looks a little bit like uh, I don't know, like a maybe like a more a more mature American Tintin or something, like that kind of. That's a pretty good graphic uh, style, clean lines. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Like, yeah, solid colors. Yeah. Uh, very 
clean lines, very strong lines too. I think like his yeah. his his line work is really defined. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, and his world is is pretty real. Although there are some panels that I'm looking at now where he draws uh, Marshall in like a spacesuit in his imagination and. Yeah. So he has some fun. And there's that. there are scenes where he he uh when Marshall imagines his uh I guess it's like his conscience or somebody talking to him, you know, like that voice in his head. Yeah, that guy was really cartoony. Yeah. So it it's definitely a story that plays with the form really well. Yeah. Um the form of comics really well. And another thing that I was going to bring up uh is the lettering in the comic. Because that that's as big a part of the storytelling as as the artwork. Like there are quite a few scenes where so okay, throughout the throughout the entire comic, we get Marshall's inner monologue in narrative captions. So all of these captions are just his 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 uh, inner thoughts. He doesn't have thought balloons. He has uh, captions and. There are points in the story when he's meeting Natalie and and talking to her or even other people and peop- the other person is saying something but he's so caught up in his own thoughts that his own narrative captions are on top of the other person's dialogue word balloons yeah. so you can't read their full dialogue or you can you can tell that they're talking and you can get like bits and pieces of words or sentences but it's Marshall's inner thoughts that take precedence as you consume the story. So it really reinforces how you're getting all of this from from his point of view. Yeah. And obviously he's also a, a bit of an, I guess, a biased or unreliable narrator at points. Although I think there isn't really anything here that, that, that uh, plays with uh, the reliability of the narrator as a, as a trick. It's It's more just about you get to see everything that happens uh, in a matter of fact way, right? But it's his thoughts that are that give you insight into uh, his motivations or or what's really going on beneath the surface, right? Because he is a very neurotic person. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that in the sense that he's a dude who who's got a lot of insecurities and mm-hmm. so a, a large portion of the comic is you know well a large portion of the comic is definitely you hearing just him almost babbling to himself about all of his insecurities like that's it's it's a pretty significant chunk of the the narration that's going on but in particular the scene that you're discussing where where basically he's in the middle of a date with this woman, Natalie, and there are scenes where she's in the middle of telling her story and her, her word balloons are basically blocked out by his thought, by his thought balloons, you know, his, his captions, his captions, exactly. His narrative, his captions. narrative captions. And the thing that that uh, communicates to me is one, just how I, I, I don't want to say well, okay, I'm going to say self-absorbed, but it 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 sounds a lot more malicious than it actually is, but he's just very caught up in his own head and you know, 
if anyone's ever been on a date before with someone that you know they want to like or yeah they're like that's a pretty i think that was a effective way of communicating that experience where you're you're just kind of so caught up in not looking stupid or saying the wrong thing you you forget or or you're yeah you're just so caught up in not being saying something stupid or saying the wrong thing that you find it hard to even pay attention to what the other person is saying just because you're yeah not to not to screw it up and i thought that was i know that feeling man and it was a really good way of like communicating that through through art through the picture you know i i I was like really like what better way uh to describe that that uh apprehension that tension i guess you know yeah anxiety anxiety exactly exactly yeah so the story starts off with uh marshall waiting in this coffee shop and it's it's funny he does the thing it's it's not exactly like uh what the girls in ghost world were doing but he is people watching while he's waiting for his date because he's never met her he doesn't know what she looks like so he's kind of looking around in the coffee shop at all these other uh customers wondering i wonder if that's the person no that that can't be her she's too young she's too old you know he's just kind of looking around and there there's something uh it's it's just like maybe a dozen pages uh, of the or maybe a little around there, um, but I, I felt like that scene really uh, established the tone of, of the book, where you can tell that this guy spends way too much time in his own thoughts. He's yeah. got a lot of uh, like you said insecurities, um, insecurities and anxieties. He's just so I don't know in. In a way, it, it would be kind of annoying, I guess. Like if if I knew that uh, somebody was, you know, really going through all these thoughts um, while waiting for somebody. I, but at, at the same time, when I step back and think about it, I think that's it's pretty normal too. You know, like Absolutely. anybody would probably think similar things also. Yeah, I, but it it's just done in a way where you can kind of see that this character uh is just rooted in in or buried in his own insecurities and he can't help but yeah but uh overthink and overanalyze the situation yeah there's a part of me that wonders because in that first uh, couple of pages when he's sitting in that coffee shop and he's just it's just a barrage of thoughts is what what's happening you're just it's a bunch of uh caption panels and just a bunch of different ideas that he's having and part of it is i i do think part of it is that he's he's genuinely making these observations but there's also this sense that it's it's a nervous tick and it might be him just kind of looking to distract himself uh, like mm-hmm. i yeah like i wonder if yeah there there's a couple of interpretations uh, i i think there's a couple of different ways to interpret it where he could i i do definitely get the sense that he's this person with these insecurities but it, it also does feel like just 
that rapid pace of thought just allows him to kind of soothe his mind while he's getting ready for this big thing that's about to happen to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Again, it's that anxiety, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the story uh, really takes place over the course of one night, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, basically one night. Yeah. Um, so it starts off with him waiting for his date, Natalie. And then when she finally arrives, uh, they get a chance to meet and talk to each other for a little bit. And then they go for go out for dinner. And after that, they she ends up uh, calling an end to the night uh, because she has a party that she's planning to go to. So it gives her a built-in excuse to exit. Uh, exit. Exactly. So when she does that, uh, Wilson is kind of, uh, you know, again, over analyzing thing and angsty about what happened. Yeah. Thinking that he did or said something to, make her decide to end the night earlier. Uh, and then what ends up happening is off panel, Natalie gets mugged by a homeless guy who steals her purse and Wilson manages to take the purse back and, and uh, return it to her. And because of that, she ends up uh, taking him along with her to, to the party. Yeah. And when they get to the party, they meet a bunch of her friends, um, including including her ex that she uh, lived with, but never married for quite a long period of time. And yeah, from there on things kind of just <laughs> go downhill. Um, that's, that's essentially the plot of the story. Well, yeah. So the one thing that I'd like to add is just that, uh, yeah, when, when they run into the boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend at the uh, party, the some of the context is that she's she definitely has her own uh, history and her own baggage that she brings to their relationship. And one of one of the things that weighs heavy on her is the fact that she was with this guy for like fifteen years, I think. And yeah. And what ends up happening is over the period of time that she was with this with with this guy uh, before Matthew um, Marshall Marshall dang it <laughs> reprehensible <laughs> Marshall before she was with Marshall um, she she wanted to have a child with him and uh, he would he was pretty dismissive of her and. Well, I, I think that's just the best way to put it. He was dismissive of her, mm -hmm. and eventually it led to their parting. Inconsiderate. He was dismissive and inconsiderate. He was churlish. And churlish. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the the thing is, when 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 they see uh, this guy at the party, he's with his new girlfriend, and the thing that really sucks is his new girlfriend, they even just... Um, Marshall even describes her as a younger version of Natalie, a younger looking version of Natalie. This woman that he's with is pregnant, which is mm -hmm. 
you know, insult to injury. And, uh, and Marshall just being so caught up in his feelings for, like, part of me wants to say he's caught up in his feelings for Natalie, but part of me also wants to say that he might be so caught up in his own, I don't have a better word for it, but desperation that yeah. he feels yeah. like he needs to, there are things that he needs to do. And there, he feels like there's a certain way that he needs to act in order to, you know, preserve Natalie's honor. And it just ends up being a mess. <laughs> yeah. You know? A total mess. Yeah. But, yeah, I, so, like, going back to the thing about desperation for, for Matt, uh, Marshall, um, I, I do think that we talked about this earlier in the beginning of the podcast about how he makes his people, how uh, Daniel Klaus, the way he writes people is they're not perfect people. And I do think that part of the thing about Marshall is he yeah he reeks of desperation like i don't like saying it because yeah yeah that's true it it makes me cringe to think it but there's really no other way to describe what what he's going through as anything but that um Mm -hmm. one of the so one of the things that really caught my attention earlier on in the story is one of the anecdotes that marshall talks about the the kind of milestone moment that got him to go back to dating and got put him in a position to try to put his life together was one night he meets a woman and this woman uh you know i i I think she was drunk or something and she said she had been robbed he takes this woman in and they end up spending they basically end up hooking up over the course of a weekend and at the end of the the couple of days she she basically steals $800 from him, his mother's earrings, and a laptop. And this is, after his wife leaves him, this was the closest thing that he had to a relationship. And, yeah. But, but for him, this was like, this was the moment that, forced him it was a transformative exactly it was a transformative moment for him that pushed him to i guess re-embrace the world of dating um yeah but and and they never exactly i don't think they ever exactly spell out how old he is but he's he seems like he's got to be in his 40s by now yeah so he's he's kind of an older dude yeah um and kind of at that point where you know, I guess as you get older, it does get tougher to to find somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I I thought that that story was interesting that Daniel Close chose that to be his transformative moment. Because, yeah. I mean, back to what we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, but Marshall is a person who does things that real people would do things that people aren't always proud of but you know in in the privacy of their own moments and in like especially at the lowest points in their lives they're just things that we do and again they're not necessarily things that we're proud of 
but we just do them out of necessity or out of uh, desperation. desperation or whatever. But He was vulnerable and he was taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's it's a very real thing. It's a very human thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody's had some low points in their lives. So I, I, I did think that that was a very interesting touch for him to put, put uh, to include in Marshall's uh, backstory. Yeah, it definitely gives the character a bit more depth. It gives you an understanding of why he is the way he is. You know, you get to see that he is someone who has that sense of desperation within him. Yeah. If, if somebody, just from that that flashback where you see what happened to him, you just know that somebody who, I guess, is naive or desperate enough to hook up with... I, I, she was either drunk or on drugs or something. Yeah. And... And then at one she point ends in up the comic, stealing all his money. Yeah, at one point in the comic, they even called her a whore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, his yeah. friends called her a whore. Uh, yeah. So, like, I, she could have been that for all we know. So Yeah, she could have been, an, she could have been a literal whore. So, for, for him to have, uh, for him to have undergone that experience, that, that really speaks to how far he's fallen in terms of life in general yeah yeah (laughs) um because it it is it is kind of a tough thing to imagine i guess like if you're if you're if you were in his shoes i guess you could understand why he would feel the way that he feels and why he's why it kind of feels like his this this date that this yeah, I guess it's a blind date that his friend set up for him. You could get a sense of why this blind date feels like there's so much, like the stakes are so high for it, you know? Like it, it kind of, for him, it kind of feels like this could be the only chance I ever get to make another connection with a woman. Yeah. So that's why when they first meet, he's super nervous or all of, all of his uh, uh, inner thoughts are are just kind of bubbling to the forefront of the narrative as you read it. It gives you a sense that he's extremely anxious, extremely self-conscious, and it makes it feel like, yeah, there are so many things that he's worried about. It's like, like if he if he says a joke that she doesn't like, or if he if he says something uh, that inadvertently offends her. Or if he asks her a question that's more personal than he should have asked, yeah. he's worried that he could, if he does any of those things, that she's just gonna be completely turned off and and walk away. So he's just, like you said earlier, he's just trying his best not to do or say anything stupid. Yeah, because it's like just this idea that if I don't completely screw things up, there's a chance that we can build a life together. Yeah, I mean the other. The other narrative that's going on in his head is also he's constantly he yeah in his mind he's already put her on this pedestal and he like he's constantly talking about how perfect she is even though realistically he's only just met her 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are, there are scenes where he's already like imagining a life with her where they're just uh, on a hillside yeah. overlooking the ocean on a picnic eating bagels and reading the newspaper together. Yeah, I, and it's something that I can empathize with, to be perfectly honest. It's, you know, that I, I'm not going to say I've never had moments like that where you enter into something and just high hopes and high expectations just... Put you in that position where you kind of fantasize momentarily about yeah so so i do really think that marshall's situation at least for me it rung true you know well yeah 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 um same here man same here yeah i i think i think whenever i go on a first date with with somebody that i've just met kind of the same stuff goes through my mind not yeah. not necessarily like fantasizing a life together but the other stuff where i'm just so focused on trying not to say or do anything stupid you know yeah no and some sometimes i spend so much time thinking about how to continue the conversation and what to say next that i don't even uh, i'm not fully paying attention <laughs> to what she's saying in the moment <laughs> because i'm just trying to think of what to say next yeah well, I, I do think that the the comic does cover the the spectrum of all the different neuroses that people go through when they're on a date, right? So mm-hmm. it, you're right. The part of it, it like I don't know about you, man, but like when a, for me personally, when I'm on a date, like I'm if it's someone I like, especially I'm I'm just a mess because like one yeah. I'm I'm focusing on you know, trying to be funny. And then I'm also focused, like all those scenes you were just describing earlier about, uh, there's this one scene where, uh, <laughs> he loses his temper at a homeless person asking for change. And yeah, that was funny. And in his mind, he's just like, Oh, I, I just screwed that up because you know, one, I lost my cool in front of her. And, um, uh, well, okay, that's the main thing was uh, like that he lost his cool in front of her. But in his mind, the 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 follow up to that was he he starts thinking to himself, "I can salvage this if I just tell a joke to you know to lighten up the mood, right?" Yeah. So, after he uh, screams at that at that homeless guy, uh, Natalie says, "Wow, you got really upset," and she seems kind of worried, and he's trying to like play it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in his mind, he's. He's coming up with all these different jokes, uh, and they're funny too. They they, made, yeah. they all made me laugh. Yeah, but like again, like when I'm on a date, that's just kind of I, I'm like running through all these different things that I could be saying, as opposed to paying attention to this person in front of yeah. me. And then on top of that, like you know, when if I think things are going well or if I elicit some sort of reaction, there's a part of me that you know, wanders off into my psyche, imagining like, <laughs> oh man, well, I don't think of anything nearly as far down the road as like, you know, a happily ever after where we like grow old and die together or anything like that. But there's a part of me that's like, oh man, I, I should start thinking up second date plans. I bet she'd want to go out on a second date. And that's just kind of where my mind wanders to. And yeah, yeah, it's, totally. It's not necessarily something that I can help, but you know, 
Yeah, it, it's just how you're wired. Yeah, it's exactly. It's just the human condition, and I think uh, Daniel Klaus captures that like perfectly in this book. You know. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that uh, even though the characters in this are slightly older than us, it it still rings true to to my dating experiences. Yeah. I don't think it's like it, it's it's very well written and yeah. and realistic in that way. Yeah, I don't think it's truth be told, I don't think it's anything that's specific to 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 a particular point of time in your age. Like I I think I mean, I think personally like everyone's had or or I presume everyone's had similar dating experiences. Like everyone's, I, well, I, I know for a fact that not everybody has had dating experiences like that because there are some people that meet one person and immediately hit it off and don't ever have to date anyone else. So they don't experience the wide range of failed first dates that we have. I'm not bitter at all, by the way. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm gonna go drown a kitten. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that you would mention that. Um, one of the things that I, I did find that I appreciated as a choice uh, that Daniel Klaus made, uh, Klaus made when writing uh, Mr. Wonderful was the fact that I, I do, I did like the, the, the fact that he chose to make Marshall someone who had been married and the marriage, marriage failed and... It, it the story acknowledges that there was a point in time where he was where he wasn't as neurotic or as self-loathing as he was at that point in his life or at this mm-hmm. current point in his life because mm-hmm. i feel like there are a lot of stories or a lot of romance stories especially that focus on the, the on the trope that oh there's this guy who's just a lovable dude he's just never met the right girl or like you know or there's like yeah. the lovable nerd who just you know who just keeps trying but he never meets anyone right and yeah i don't i don't know if like i'm i'm not saying that i i want those types of stories to be gone forever but i do think that there are a lot of stories like that where you have these guys who go on these love quests to you know win over the girl and there was there was never a point in their life where he was debonair or he was uh you know able to get girls or whatever and i don't know that it's the most healthy way to look at relationships or because i like so for those of you who um don't know me outside of this podcast like i spend a lot of time um like immersed in internet culture <laughs> and there are a lot of people who like who who well, I don't know if there are a lot of people, but there are enough people who it feels like are so caught up in the fiction of like the the idea of a love quest and of just, you know, of being this nice guy who just hasn't met the right girl or whatever, that it's a detriment to them when they begin to act out on these things, right? So, mm-hmm. So I do think that the idea that uh, Marshall is just a regular dude who, who had some traumatic, st- who from his perspective, from his point of view, had some stuff that was 
traumatizing enough to him that it, you know, it affected him and his ability to have these relationships further down the road. And yeah, I, I, I think that's, again, closer to real, real life, I, I guess I'd say. Yeah, it's, it's realistic. It's realistic, exactly. It's, it's not, there's a, there are a lot of, uh, it doesn't idealize romance. it. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't idealize things. He plays things more like how they would play out in a real situation as opposed to just a fantasy. Yeah. Cause I, I think a lot of the romance stories that you described, it really made me think of various manga or even anime uh totally based on manga totally because that those kind of situations are kind of the bread and butter of romance manga yeah and i think that there's definitely a part of me that can find entertainment in in those kind of things so i'm not hating or anything you know but but at, at the same time when when you read those kind of stories you just recognize that they're rooted in fantasy you know, it's it's the fantasy that if you are a nice guy, you will find a nice girl, or you'll you'll find you'll be the rewarded. One, you know? Yeah, you'll be rewarded for for being a good person. Yeah, but that's and, not how that works all the time. That's it's not. It, that's not real life. Not. Either that, or or we're just not nice enough, Albert. We're too reprehensible. Uh, I mean, I refuse to believe that. I have. <laughs> I haven't punched and kicked enough old people today. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the problem. We gotta go outside right after we finish recording and just, you know, I'm just gonna, look over some little kids. Exactly. I'm just gonna devastate a senior citizen's home. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I I would even go as far as to say that. That when you look at Marshall's behaviors, like the way that Marshall acts when he's on on this date is, again, he, he tends to overanalyze and overidealize his own personal situation. And I think it should be, or at least from my perspective, I think it should be clear that that's not necessarily the way to do things. Because even mm-hmm. even towards the end of the story, when he confronts uh, Natalie's ex-boyfriend, in his mind, there's this panel where he talks about how you know he he stands up for her uh, for her honor as a hero and blah 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 and all this right, just like yeah. this really flowery language about doing the right thing, and it just ends up with him being pum- pummeled in this house. Everything just yeah. ends up being a wreck, and uh, you know, and he's. He's forced to leave because he's just, you know, ruined the the home of these people. And, you know, Natalie's just crying. And he's been humiliated. He's been humiliated and Natalie's just crying in a corner. Like, like I could definitely see how someone would look at that. And especially with the way that the comics end, comic ends, they could look at that and be like, oh, isn't that sweet? He, you know, he, he was the hero of the story and whatever, but realistically speaking like i think the point was there was a chance for marshall to get out of there and he still could have salvaged the relationship and not have had that entire mess 
or that entire debacle yeah. happened, and it still would have been fine, you know? Yeah, th- there's there's absolutely nothing romantic or cool about a 40-something-year-old man getting into a fistfight at a home house party. Well, I'm, I'm even hesitant to call it a fistfight because it sounds like he was getting beaten. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, it sounded pretty one-sided to me. <laughs> he was the one just getting the fist pounded on his face. Exactly. So, I mean... Again, like I've, I've, you know, I've been young, and I've, I, I've known, I, I've felt what I thought was the throes of romance or love or whatever, and I, I've, I, I've foolishly believed that there were things uh, that I was supposed to do or behaviors that I was supposed to emulate to, you know, elicit romantic feelings in return. Uh, but again, I, I don't think that this that's that was the point of this story. I, I certainly don't think that his behavior like is anything that we should look up to. Like there are things about him that we should look up to. I mean, he's still, he's still a pretty Marshall is still a pretty genuine dude. Who's just trying to make this thing work for him. Right. So mm-hmm. in that sense, I root for him, but I, I certainly wouldn't look at this, like his his actions and behaviors as uh, a playbook for how I would do things. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is not a role model. <laughs> he is not. Certainly not. <laughs> he's, if anything, he's probably closer to a, a worst case scenario than a role model. <laughs> it's more like, I don't want to end up like this guy. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's more than fair. I would, I'd definitely say that. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect whatsoever to Marshall, but I don't want to end up like him. <laughs> Any other thoughts about the comic, Albert? Oh, let's see. Did I miss anything? No, I... there was one scene that I that I thought uh, I found really striking, um, and it's it's in the middle of the book, the scene where Natalie tells Marshall that she's gonna go to the party, and you know that's the end of their night together, um, or at least that's what he assumes. You know, it, she she says goodbye. It's nice meeting you, and and then she walks away, and then. He just walks he just watches her walk down the street and you see uh, a panel on page 43 where it's just a uh, one long vertical panel at the end where he's looking at he's still looking in the direction she walked in and it's just an empty street you know there's there's like one car driving down towards him but the sidewalk is empty so she's already walked away and he he can't do anything except look in that direction powerlessly. And then when you turn the page, you just get this two page spread of, of Marshall walking in the night by himself and all the background details for the most part have dissipated. And it's just a bunch of uh, geometric shapes, um, mostly like the, the doors and windows of the buildings on the street that are just backlit 
And I thought that was a really unexpected page flip. You know, like you, there are there are a couple of other two-page spreads in the story, but I thought that one was particularly poignant. It, it's one where when you flip the page, because there's hardly anything going on, mm. you can easily just look at it in, in like a second and then just keep on going. But because it was my second time reading it, I think uh, – my eyes just lingered on it and I was just looking at all the different shapes yeah. and the weird uh the weird perspectives of of how he's walking down this dark street where it, he's really just surrounded by geometry. Yeah. It's 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 there's something I don't know poetic about it and yeah, I just thought it was a beautiful scene that you can only do in comics, you know, like this wouldn't work yeah, yeah. in anything else. Like you, you can't really do this in in a in a movie. I mean, if you try to do it in I guess if they made an animated version, you could approach something like this, but mm. just looking at it on these pages in this format, there's there's something special about it, man. And that it's it's exactly the kind of thing that that makes me love comics because yeah, it's just so perfect for comics. Absolutely, it's. I know the page that you're talking about, and the thing that I would mention is that so much of the comic is actually very well lit and really bright in colors. So when you turn the mm-hmm. page, it's a, just a massively stark contrast, right? Because yeah. there aren't really any other pages that are nearly as dark as this one page. So if anything, it is yeah. eye-catching in that sense. Um, it's just... Yeah, like... It, so at this point in the story, he, he, he thinks that she's ducked out on him because he thinks he's failed to make a good impression. And therefore, he thinks it's the last that he's going to see of her. So mm-hmm. again, this is an example of Marshall just being caught up in his own head. So, you know, he says his goodbyes and, you know, in that moment where he's by himself, he's just, he's in a dark place. And yeah, that's, that's the perfect uh, representation of it on, on the page is just him in the dark and really the world has faded away and none of it really matters because he just feels like, again, you have to understand in his mind, this girl was his one last chance. So, and he just feels like it's just slipped through his fingers. So once he's in the dark, he just feels like he has nothing. So it's, it's a very well done page. I I dug it. Yeah, totally, man. That's why I love comic books, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I did have one other thought, which was, I I don't know, uh, it's not a fully formed thought, so I don't know if it's necessarily, if it's, I don't, I don't want it to come off as a criticism or a critique, because it's certainly not that, but it was definitely that something that jumped out at me, uh, and it's the fact that so much of the story was, you know, about, especially the first half of the book, so much of the story was about Marshall going on this date and dealing with mm-hmm. uh, his insecurities and just his inner monologue as he's trying to navigate this date and just trying to survive it. And yeah, 
and up to that point i felt like it was like pretty real and then when you get to the scene where um you know he runs into the mugger who steals uh natalie's purse off panel I, there was a part of me that was like oh that's a little i guess convenient or it felt a little movieish but i guess you needed something there to 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 push the story along so uh yeah and and i will admit even as i read it uh i didn't real for for a second i wasn't sh- i i wasn't sure where they were going with it cuz i was like what if he beat this guy up because he thought he stole her purse, but it ended up not being her purse? Well, it was the same homeless guy that tried to talk to him at the restaurant. Okay, okay. So he knew that it was he, a homeless dude. Okay. Yeah, see, like, that's a testament to my uh, lack of observational skills. So, <laughs> like, I didn't even realize until, like, I had to read that that sequence a couple of times over before I was like, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that's uh, how he recognized that the purse didn't belong to him because it dude was homeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and funny thing is, is he ends up uh, seeing that dude again uh, one more time uh, in the story before. Yeah. They before sure the drink the together. He commiserates with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's kind of, it's pretty comical. It's another one of those, those funny scenes because. He ends up sharing the drink, and then they're sitting on this bench. And Wilson, I mean, uh, I called him Wilson. Marshall. <laughs> Marshall kind of openly shares his heart to this homeless dude. And then in response, the homeless dude says, If I had a blade, I'd slice your throat and leave you for dead. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, and yeah, and the the pacing of of the humor in this comic is so deadpan and and matter of fact. It it's I think that just makes it funnier. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a funny comic, you know. I like it's funny, but it also has heart, you know. Like I yeah, I feel for Marshall and I feel for Natalie, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a compelling read. It's one of those books that doesn't take a long time to read. So once you start reading it, you'll finish it in in one sitting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But I would recommend taking your time to read it and just kind of to absorb all the finer details of it. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Klaus is one of the great cartoonists of our time for sure. Yeah, he's he's been doing his own thing since the since the 80s. Yeah, and he's always been critically acclaimed, well regarded. Yeah, and if you're just looking to get into indie comics or alternative comics, he would be a good place to start. Um, and Mr. Wonderful would probably be a really easy entryway into his work. Yeah. Like if this is your first Daniel Klaus comic, that's a good one to start with. Yeah, I was... Easy to digest, gives you a good taste yeah. uh, for his sensibilities. I was just about to say, like, um, Mr. Wonderful is... I think Marshall and Natalie are, as far as I can tell, uh, out of you know all the characters that Daniel Close has created, they're probably the most, some of the more empathetic, easily accessible characters. Yeah. Relatively speaking, yeah. like I, I, I still think Wilson isn't. 
he's not the worst guy, but he's not the best guy either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those those girls in Ghost World, I, I wouldn't want to cross their paths, man. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be their friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that also makes me think of uh, another thing I've heard when it comes to uh, consuming stories because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of, I guess whether they're readers or just uh, viewers of, of shows or film, people, people, the audience seems to, or maybe I shouldn't just say the audience, but the masses, like the general typical masses tend to favor what they consider likable protagonists, you know, they, they want to like the characters and they feel, I've heard people say that they don't like a story because they, they didn't like the main character or because they couldn't relate to the main character. And that that's, I don't know, man, there, there's something about that attitude that that's always bugged me mm. because I never felt like I had to like the character to be able to enjoy or appreciate the story. Mm. Mm. A, a lot of stories aren't necessarily character driven. Some stories can be plot driven or idea driven. And some stories can be character driven, but I don't think it means that every character has to be relatable, whatever that means, or likable, because that's very subjective anyway. I think it I think for for the reader, the reader just should need the reader needs to just be able to appreciate the story for what it is, you know, because you're not necessarily reading a story to try and become imaginary friends with these characters, <laughs> you know. That's a like, funny. Never, <laughs> that's that's what I've never understood why people care so much about having likable characters, because I've I've never thought that was important. What's more important to me is having interesting characters. Yeah, yeah, characters that that uh, just grab your attention and, and make you want to continue reading their story. And I think with with uh, something like Mr. Wonderful or, or even the other Daniel Klaus comics that we mentioned earlier, the characters aren't necessarily likable, but his characters are fascinating mm. and they make you want to read the stories to their conclusions. Mm. Oh. Well put, well said. Any other final thoughts? Um, I I hesitate to to end because I don't want to you know end this podcast and then go. Oh man, I wanted to say that, but I missed it. <laughs> That's how it always every every time we record an episode. The next day, I'll I'll message you or you'll message me, and we'll be like. Oh man, you forgot to talk about this, <laughs> <laughs> right? So I like I'm I'm clinging by like my fingernails just to not let go. But um, well, while you're thinking, let, let me ask you another question. Sure, shoot. Do you think, or does this story ring true to your dating experiences, Albert? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I. I don't think my dating experiences have been anywhere near as dramatic or over-dramatized as what happened in Mr. Wonderful. And even even 
compared to like some of the other things I've read, I'd say Mr. Wonderful isn't like superly over dramatized. It's it's dramatized enough for the sake of story, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to have you know for something to happen. But um, you know, I think at the core of it, the the experience of of what it's like to go out on a date. I think it captures that perfectly well, you know. Um, yeah, the anxiety that we've talked about that so much, or just the the different ways in which your brain reacts when you're mm-hmm. in this situation. Uh, you know, uh, the the impulse to try to be witty and to try to to try to uh, what's the word to not do anything stupid. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, but more specifically to perpetuate an image of yourself as a certain thing, right? Sure, yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, like all of that, like totally, uh, I think it captures all that perfectly well, you know? Yeah, I I think for for people who who have gone on, uh, on, on blind dates, this, this definitely will be relatable in in that sense because it captures like you said the internal uh anxiety or just the the nervousness of of the situation i don't know maybe i don't know if it's different for for uh people today who just use dating apps and you know the whole uh online dating thing has made first dates uh i guess pretty commonplace for a lot of people so i don't i don't know if if uh that experience is the same as somebody who goes on a blind date with somebody with somebody that uh their mutual friends have set up oh but uh yeah it it definitely made me think just cuz cuz uh I've been on a couple of dates like that, um, as well as, you know, online dating too. But it's, yeah, there. I think in both instances, both of those experiences are slightly different just because with somebody that your friends have introduced you to, it kind of feels like, I don't know, like there's a little bit more of a, a baseline of understanding there. Whereas just meeting somebody, uh, a complete stranger, off an app i th- i feel like with that sometimes there's less concern about uh at least for me sometimes there's less concern about saying something stupid like i'm probably more likely to just uh be myself <laughs> but when it's when it's somebody that your friends have introduced you to you kind of don't want to make it so that your friends made a mistake, you know, or you you don't want to embarrass your friend. Like you don't want the girl to go back and be like, tell her, tell your friend, I can't believe he was like this or that, or he said that, you know, like (laughs) he was reprehensible. That's interesting. I, uh, huh. That's interesting. I never realized that, uh, that that was your, um, inner thought process on that. That's, uh... Yeah, I, I can be just as neurotic as anybody else, maybe even more so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm chock full of hidden insecurities, man. Yeah, 
I, I think that's my mutant power. Yeah, every every night I spend an hour in the shower in the dark because I don't want to. I don't want it to be clearly evident that tears are coming. I wish you didn't say that because now <laughs> I just imagined you naked in the shower. Well, I did say it was dark, so there's probably not anything that you actually saw. You know, I'm just going to assume that you take a shower with all your clothes on. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's better. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Like, do you... Uh, yeah, I, I... I do feel like... Although this is a, a comic that's based in reality, or or it, it, it tries to be a realistic uh, example of, of, mm-hmm. of a romance. I, I, I do appreciate that in spite of like the, some of the neuroses and some of the cynicism, like there, there is a, there is a, a thread of sentiment and genuineness to this book. And yeah, that is, that's true. That is what I would probably why I would recommend it as a romance comic because, you know, yeah, I mean, we we talked about it. Marshall Marshall is is desperate, but his desperation comes from a genuine place uh, of just wanting mm-hmm. to love someone and to be loved. You know. Yeah, and uh, that's. It's I don't know. It's um, it makes me think of that Radiohead song, uh, "True Love Waits." You know, yeah. Like, uh, what, isn't one of the lyrics something like, "For you, I'd be a fool," or something like that? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, like I don't remember the specific lyrics, but uh, from what I remember, like the the gist of the song is just you know about how love just makes him. Like all the ways that different ways that he would dis- debase himself just for love, and again, it just it, it. I'm not saying that we all behave that way, or but. I guess, deep down inside, there there is a part of us that all. I don't know. Feels a little bit of that, you know. Yeah. 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 I think the uh the line from that song that always stood out to me was there's a part where you're, Tom York sings I'm not living, I'm just killing time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great yeah. song. I love that song. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh that's something that that resonates with me. Yep. Because yeah, we are getting older. We're still alone. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident that I I've reached my limit on thoughts. I I hope that uh, tomorrow I don't message you and go. Dang it, I forgot to mention this or that, but 
Do you have any <laughs> final thoughts? Nope. I think after this, I'm probably going to have to pour myself a bowl of Barbara's Morning Oat Crunch <laughs> cereal. Drown your sorrows in a hearty bowl of Barbara's Morning Oat Crunch. The preferred cereal of single men. I thought you were going to say the preferred cereal of between the gutters. But... Oh, did I not say between the gutters? That's what I meant to say. <laughs> My mind must have been drifting elsewhere. My bad. I don't know what I was thinking about being single and alone. <laughs> this isn't the Valentine's Day episode, Drew. What you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the Thanksgiving episode. How thankful are you that you're alone this year, Albert? I'm not thankful that Albert? I'm alone. <laughs> I'm thankful that I've got the Between the Gutters podcast to listen to. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. <laughs> Amen to that. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Peace out. Shonka Donka, everyone. Shonka Donka. <laughs>